He Shoots, He Draws is sponsored by the Westcott Rapid Box Switch in association with JP Distribution. Isn't it time you made the switch? Do it today at www.fjwestcott.com backslash switch. Hi, I'm Bill Rose, and you're listening to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast. Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glenn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hello and welcome back to another episode of He Shoots, He Draws. I thought I'd do the intro this time. It's me, Glenn, and obviously present as well is my ever-present co-host, Dave. Hello, mate. Good evening. <laughs> well, this is uh, this episode here is a little bit different. This is one that Dave did on his own. He's actually done an interview with a guy that I know he's got his book. And by all accounts, a lot of people, certainly in the design world, I think it's fair to say, have got this guy's book. Yep. So, Dave, I'm going to hand over to you so you can explain who this was with. Yeah, so the guy who I was speaking to is a young fellow by the name of Bill Rose who's got a book out called Junk Type. Now, I came across this book through basically watching other designers and one or two had actually mentioned that they've got it and so what is junk type well bill's going to explain it but it's that kind of old long lost design of like mid-century america it's those those little designs that are on packaging and we've got them in the uk them old packages like 1950s 60s that you pick them up and simple little logos and what bill's done is he's curated this collection uh which ended up turning into a book but that's not just what he does um he's actually got a, a much wider uh collection story going on which he will explain um, I, I, I was completely intrigued by this one because i obviously you know in the photography world i'd actually never heard of bill rose so when i edited this episode which obviously i've done already um yeah. i was just intrigued to hear what you know who he was and what he actually did and what what i found that this has done for me, because of what Bill is actually doing, which obviously explains in the interview, he's actually made me start to look at things around me that I take for granted even more. Because Absolutely. what he's done, he's actually made something that, certainly in America, you'd be walking past day in and day out in certain areas. But Bill's highlighted those and made people think, oh my God, yeah, that really is art. And what I love about the interview as well is he's been doing it for a number of years, but he's yeah. still really interested. Oh, I nearly said passionate then, but we don't do that yeah. word. But he's still really, really into it. So fantastic, uh, fantastic interview. Really enjoyed it. Um, so rather than me introducing this one, yeah, I think you should do this one, Dave. So over to you <sighs> for little... the... <laughs> I'm over excited. To you, over to you for our traditional intro to the interview. Well, in that case, Glenn... I'm going to say, Bill Rose, who are you? Hi, I'm Bill Rose. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm passionate about documenting the aesthetics of vintage American design. Cool. So I came about, Bill, um, I actually got this book called Junk Type, which I ended up buying it uh, through Aaron Draplin. He had actually posted it on uh, Instagram or social media, and I saw the book, and I think it only came out in November, uh, April 2017. That's right. Um so as soon as I saw it, it was like straight on Amazon, buy it straight away. And the reason why I want to speak to Bill is because apart, aside from the book, um, you obviously have got a great love of design. And like you said, I love that. Uh, I document the aesthetics of vintage American design, which is a sentence I wrote down from from your website. Because <laughs> And I love the recap. So you're the recapturist, and I love that name as well. So 
can you just explain what that means that small part of it and where that came from yeah absolutely i um you know when i first started kind of down this path of uh you know it kind of started with um discovering a love of photographing vintage neon signs and it actually just started with a love of vintage neon signs and then it became a subject that uh, i wanted to capture with my camera um and it it struck me that uh, these were things that had been around for a long time. Um, and I just found myself really drawn to not only the design of the signs, but also the history that they represented of this country. Um, and, you know, recapturist was something that just kind of came out one day as I was trying to put a label or a brand on what I, you know, was starting to spend a lot of my time capturing. Um, so it's, it's more or less a made up word, but I do think it really, uh, speaks to, uh, you know, kind of the little personal mission that I'm on with the work that I do. Yeah. It's a great name. As soon as I saw it, um, and it was like, yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. You're recapturing that part of America that, um, unfortunately, you know, is dying, and and is fading away but in at the same time i think now more so people are people are appreciating it more than they ever did because i know like living in england we've got you know we've got history of castles and forts and things and and when you go around and you see these ruins and you think there there was a point in time when no one get when no one cared now i'm talking about like 16 1700 you're talking about the 40s 50s 60s which is relatively new American history and yet from looking at your work and the Instagram account is there's so much of this beautiful typography and signage and neon signs still around America on the back roads but kind of I don't know they they seem appreciated but not loved yeah it's you know it it really varies like there is there's a there are certainly some people out there that are dedicated to the preservation of vintage neon signs and, you know, googie architecture and everything that kind of comes within that universe. Um, I'm a member of an organization called the um, Society for Commercial um, Archaeology, um, which is all about the preservation of such things in the United States. Um, But certainly, a lot of these signs have fallen into disrepair. Um, They are often more uh, the expense of upkeep and maintenance, and in some case, even insuring these things are, uh, let alone the electricity costs that come along with them, um, are kind of overwhelming for the business owners in many cases. Uh, and so they, they tend to be replaced by often by, um, you know, things that are much less visually appealing. In (laughs) fact, in fact, that, that is actually how I first ever stumbled upon Aaron Draplin, who you brought up at the beginning of this conversation, yeah. is through a, you know, and you may have seen this video, but he has a, there was a video that he was recorded, uh, you know, kind of on this rant, I guess you would call it, about um, similar subject matter, right? About how these signs are being, uh, you know, kind of um, cast aside in favor of things that are not nearly of the same quality and I'll just leave it at yeah. that. 
Uh, and I reached out to him immediately uh, after that and said, hey, um, you may like what I'm doing, because that was shortly after I had kind of, you know, got some structure around uh, taking these vintage neon signs and actually standing them up on a, on a website and putting that effort yeah. into it to kind of get them shared a little more broadly. Yeah, that was, um, let's say, that was one of the things that drew me to Aaron Draplin is the fact that part of what he does is he takes those old things and collects them. I mean... I, I first came across Aaron in 2015. It was eight, uh, March 2015, and he was on a blog. And uh, as soon as I saw what he did and his like, work, work ethic, he collected old things, then I went on a, oh, who is this guy? Went on a little YouTube search, saw the video that you've seen where he actually ends up buying a sign from a, a place and takes it home, and then he yeah. shows what the, it was replaced with, and it was like, oh. But so part of his design aesthetic is to kind of keep that, style alive so he does the junking thing and goes around and and starts collecting those those small items obviously field notes came from something like that yeah but uh, but that has been something that's been of interest for me for such a long time like going back to when I was a kid I loved anything American American packaging American design on TV um, in fact, I joked in a, I, I teach a, a graphic design class at an event and on my slide, I have a, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a, and then I let the audience guess what it is. And they're kind of, oh, publisher. And, they, and the next slide says a kidnapper. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all start laughing. And I said, why a kidnapper? And I said, because when I used to watch like Mission Impossible and uh, Starsky and Hutch and all these old 1970s shows, whenever they kidnapped someone, somebody did the ransom note. And I was fascinated by the somebody had to sit with magazines and cut these old letters out. And yet when they made the ransom note, it was still a piece of art. Someone still took the time to make sure that, you know, not the same two colors were next to each other and never the same two fonts. And and that was, I think, my love of American typography and Americana and stuff like that has stayed with me and probably influences a lot of what I do and where I go. So going back to what you've been capturing, you so you started with signage and the neon signs. Yeah. How long were you doing that before it turned into like going to the yard sales and the junk sales and the antique shops and and then it becoming a smaller focus on things? Yeah, um, you know... It, uh, I, I get really obsessed with things. And so for about, I don't know, this, this, the whole neon sign thing for me started in 2006. And I would say for a good 10 years, and that kind of, um, was something that I grew more and more focused on. Um, it, this whole thing started when I was living in Seattle and I had just purchased what was, I guess technically my first kind of real digital camera, if you will. Um, by today's standards, it, it's not much, but it photography is something I had dabbled in throughout my life on and off, but really wasn't a uh, experienced or certainly not a trained photographer. Um, and as I got this camera, I quickly realized that I was completely unfocused in what I was shooting and I was desperate for some sort of a you know, theme or a a subject matter that I really cared about. Yeah. And there is a, there's a, there's a road called Aurora Avenue that runs North and South through Seattle. And it is one of, this is one of the roads that was, you know, this, this country's littered with roads that used to be the major thoroughfares 
before the interstate system was put into place in the 1960s. And, yeah. you know, Aurora, um, the Alaskan Highway, as it's called, is one of those roads. And on the northern end of it, it is just, and in fact, today it looks much different than it did in 2006, but really just littered with these uh, motels that still, in many cases, had these beautiful neon signs. And it's a, you know it was a sketchy part of town. I believe it still is today. Uh, but I would walk up and down that street, photographing all these signs, drawing all the unwanted attention that I got along the way because I was the guy with the camera, right? Um, but I was hooked from that, and you know that eventually got and pretty quickly combined with just the fact that um, my wife and I have. We both grew up really enjoying road trips, uh, and that has continued, um, you know, as as we have gotten together, and so and it's a it's a perfect it's a perfect pairing. Um, so as things evolved, you know, we found ourselves uh, taking a couple weeks off from our you know day jobs at a time just to go on these road trips that would number one allow us to see parts of the the country that we had never seen but number two uh we would we would take the back roads the whole way between points a and b just because that is where you find these things you're not going to see this those neon signs typically if you're sticking to the interstates uh yeah here in the u.s and so um, like a couple that stand out in particular, we, you know, so as I mentioned at the intro, uh, we live in, we currently live in, uh, Minneapolis. Um, we took one trip all the way down to Key West, Florida, which is about 4,000 miles round trip. And we were on the interstate for maybe 200 miles of that. Other, otherwise we were just kind of meandering our way through the back roads and, um, just, we didn't know what we were going to find. It wasn't a pre-planned trip. At times we would adjust our route based on what the weather was coming, you know, what weather was coming in different parts of this, of the country. And I found some of the most incredible signs I'd ever seen. And they, they weren't ones that were well documented. So, um, like for instance, you, if you do a, you know, typically if you do a search for uh, neon signs, vintage neon signs, you're going to see a lot of, uh, or at least back then, a lot of Route 66 stuff come up. Yeah. Like there, there are some well-worn uh, routes that, you know, and for good reason, you know, those are, those are beautiful examples um, of this type of signage. But I was really motivated by, uh, you know, finding the undiscovered or, you know, certainly in quotes, uh, but uh, the the kind of lesser known. And so the anticipation of what was going to be around the bend as we were, you know, meandering our way across the country was intense. I felt like I felt like I was waking up to Christmas morning every morning on that trip because I didn't know what was there. And I just, you know, I was waiting to unwrap my gifts. So, you know, so that like I said, that kind of took hold over the course of about a decade. Um, and it, you know, and for the longest time I had this collection of images, but I had no real platform with which to share them at all. And then when Instagram came around, that kind of changed everything. So I, I started, um, I started posting them to Instagram and this was, gosh, I want to say maybe, 
2010, 2011, somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah. Um, fairly early on and, uh, quickly, you know, not only did, um, not only did those photos start, you know, uh, gaining some, uh, you know, admirers, if you will, but I kind of found a community of like-minded people that were also either very interested in this or were off doing it themselves. Um, and it, it's been pretty incredible to see that, to see that grow. Um, and then eventually I realized that, Hey, I needed to, I really wanted to have these, um, on my own site as well. And so, uh, eventually I, you know, I'm, I'm not a web designer, but I, you know, I'm willing to sit down and figure out how to do just about anything along those lines. Um, and so, yeah, uh, stood up a website, uh, and it, it's kind of gone from there, right? I can, um, I do sell prints off the site, which is something I couldn't do at the time on Instagram and maybe, maybe can't even now. Um, but it's, uh, it's been great. Now, the, the thing that I think that really resonates with people though, is certainly, certainly the images are, um, I believe very interesting to look at, but I would always make sure to include the story of the sign. That's that was, I think, equally as important as what I was trying to do. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, I, um, so Dave, I listened to one of your recent podcasts with, uh, Stacy, the, yeah. the, the veterans portrait project she was doing. And while I, I, I'm hesitant to draw a parallel between what I do and what she does, certainly, because I think what, you know, what she does is, is, is a much more important mission that she's on, um, but she made a comment about um, she wanted to archive the stories of these amazing people that otherwise would go untold. And a lot of her, a lot about her project resonated with me, but that in particular, that's really how I felt about these signs. I wanted to not only capture them visually, but I also wanted to present along with them anything I could find out about the history of that sign, whether it be what the business did, what, you know, who the owner of the business was, the sign manufacturer, the date, right? I would, and this is not readily available information. And so, um, but I would, whatever I could pull together through, you know, in many cases, I would talk to the owner of the store if it was a place that was still in business to understand what they knew about it. Um, you know, there, there are some things you can find out online, you know, there are manufacturers badges on the side of many of these things that you can use, uh, to follow a lead. Um, and you know, I, I felt like that was, uh, I, that was an important part of it to me is trying to also capture a little bit of what this sign represented and the represents or represented in the people that were behind that. Yeah, no, I I think you're fair to do that comparison because given obviously you know Stacey's reason for doing it is different, but what she's doing is exactly what you're doing. You're you are capturing something that will be long gone in a short amount of time and telling its story. And that was one of the things that I was going to ask you about because obviously everyone knows the Route 66 signage i mean in some instances there's like the iconic ones if you can do route 66 stop you're going to see this sign on the side of the road everyone's going to capture it 
But obviously you traveling and trying to find not necessarily abandoned signs, but you're still finding live businesses like mum and pup stores and these small little family businesses that are still going. That You know, the shop still looks like it did in 1950 when it was made. Um, but you must take forever to get anywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's it's absolutely true. I take forever and we take the least scenic routes through major cities, right? My poor wife. I drag her through, you know, because the honestly, where these signs live, especially in the big cities today, uh, they they tend to be pretty run down these days. A lot of those motels, if they're still in business, are fairly seedy, and mm. we, you know, we we found ourselves in some pretty <laughs> pretty interesting predicaments as a result. Um, but she's a she's a trooper, and uh, yes, we do tend to take a long time, but we build that in. We we know that's to be expected. Um, but yeah, there's um you know, the, you know on the other side of that token is um as I mentioned earlier, you do tend to draw a little bit of attention when you're uh, out there photographing the sign of a business that's still in operation. Um, uh, you know, on many occasions, the owner or, you know, somebody who's working there will come out and ask me what I'm doing. Sometimes they think I'm an insurance uh, guy, <laughs> like documenting their uh, uh, documenting their uh, their store. Um, but and many of them are, are very, uh, very friendly uh, when they understand what I'm doing. I've had I've had uh, folks invite me inside to see the photographs that they have on their office in the back room that show, you know, the, the front of the store when it was first opened. Uh, and certainly those conversations add to a lot of, um, the blanks that I try and fill in about the history of these signs. And when, I, whenever I can, um, you know, if they're, if they're up for it, I try and get photos of, of those folks as well and tell their stories. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, so it's fun. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely an adventure. Um, and it is, uh, yeah, you know, I, I still kind of get pretty excited when I know that there's a possibility that I'm going to be in a situation to come across something new. Yeah. So when do you ever do that thing where, um, and I know I've done it, it's like, oh, darling, would you like to go? I was thinking we could go here this weekend. It looks really lovely. <laughs> in the back of your mind, you know, I know, I know. <laughs> there's, there's, <laughs> there's a reason we're doing this and we're going this way. But I'm sure in the beginning, was your wife like, oh, honey, please, do we have to stop again? And then now is she like, oh, darling, look over there. You know, she she's she's been on board from the beginning. I'm very lucky, Dave. I'm very lucky. Yeah. She's been on board. I think her biggest concern was like, okay, what is it that I do while you're off taking these photos? Like I need to find better books is her, is her thing. Like what, what is it that I do? Cause, um, cause you can be out of the car for a long, a long period of time while you're shooting these things. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be just sitting here. Um, but she is, you know, she's a second set of eyes for me, frankly. She, uh, she gets pretty proud if she finds, if she spots something before I do. In fact, she'll, uh, I think those are some of my, those are some of her favorite photos of mine's of mine, the ones that she knows that she pointed out before I saw. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, she's great that way. She's, she's willing to kind of go, um, really at any time because she loves to be in the, in the car as much as I do, especially if we know we're going to see new places. And I guess as well, the other thing is you're not just kind of driving around. I mean, if you're driving around, it's actually hard to look to the left and the right as you're driving. When you're a passenger, you've got that kind of 360 view. So you you need that spotter. But 
the danger is, I guess, is if you become a slave to a project like that, is you end up doing that thing where you are just like drive, snap, drive, snap, and you don't do what you're doing. Now, the, the bit that I love that you've just spoken about is the fact that you stop and you go in and you talk to the people and you find out their history and you get those little extra treasures like the I guess like the clue the clues sometimes is you you see something on a sign that you might call a number or or go and check someone out and you hear the history of the signage company that that side of it absolutely fascinates me I think there's a book there just for you know the stories of you on the road and the stories of these signs and the history behind them because they are amazing pieces of art and I mean I'll I'll show you I'll I'll move my camera and people listening can't see but I've got a small office here it's about eight foot by eight foot and I've got a bookshelf that's got about 350 books on it of which 80% are design of which you know uh, uh, you know from Aaron Draplin's yours uh, I've got old sign painter books old American signage books font books because that's seeing it is great but i want the tactile part of it that you've got i i really i I come to america quite a bit which i'm lucky to be able to do but i haven't been in i haven't driven over there for quite some time and this has kind of made me i'm going to portland and la in october yeah and and i want to get out and go and do go and go down some of those back roads and you know i've come into some sketchy places i went to chicago once and i really wanted to go down to the um Ray's music store from the Blues Brothers because there's that big mural yeah. on the side of the wall. So I went down there, my SLR that I bought, DSLR, um, and just like my Ray's music T-shirt. I thought I'd go down and get a really good photograph of me outside. Shelley's store, it's like a beautiful sign. There's all this old signage down there. And it's 34th Street, I think. And I went down and I've never felt so in danger <laughs> my whole life. <laughs> and then I've got this like $200, $300 digital camera on me yes I put it on yeah. I put it on a, a post box and like got the automatic timer got a couple of shots uh that I needed and oh I, I didn't feel t- completely in danger but I felt uncomfortable being there yeah. so I can imagine where whilst you've got the the lure of the you know the sign the siren of the sign calling you it probably does make you forget your surroundings yeah, you, you definitely have to be, you can't get too lost in what you're doing in that situation. Um, but, you know, it definitely it definitely crosses your mind that you're in a potentially sketchy part of whatever town you're in. You have a uh, expensive piece of equipment that you're with. Uh, you know, in my, in my case, you know, I have my, uh, my wife uh, nearby, right? And all these things are certainly running through your mind. Um, you know, generally people are good. Uh, so I, you know, I haven't, I haven't found too many situations that, um, have been dangerous necessarily, but you definitely think twice when you're in certain, certain situations. Yeah, no, that's cool. And like, like you say, you've been doing it for over 10 years now. So you start to, you kind of go into it with your eyes a bit wider open, I guess, that when you're going into that territory, there's a reason why these places are like they are, because like you say, it's a small town. There's not a lot of money maybe around, not not too many jobs so you're going into a community as a complete stranger and then start you know like you say start pointing your camera everywhere and people get a little bit itchy but i guess with the, the technology now is you can get out your ipad go straight to your instagram and go this is what i do yeah yeah that's exactly right and uh you know because it's been 10 years it, it really just shines a light on 
how endangered these signs are because a, a large percentage of the signs that are on my, on my site obviously were standing when I shot them, and many of them aren't now. Um, you hear stories about how they've been removed, or, I mean, even, even signs that aren't on my site. So I have probably less than 100 photos on my website today. I yeah. have hundreds of photos on my hard drive that just haven't made the site or, you know, for a variety of reasons. And, you know, I'll be driving around town here and suddenly notice that something has been taken down and removed. So these things are falling all the time and many of them. So, you know, luckily, some of them at least do fall into uh, museums. Um, some of them go to private collectors, but a lot of them are just simply scrapped. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been known to even um, like I, I noticed that a uh, motel uh, not too far from where I live had their sign, uh, replaced and this, this beautiful, uh, neon sign had been removed. And it is one of the ones, um, that was on my site. And I went in and talked to the owners, try, you know, they just wanted really nothing to do with it anymore. Uh, track down the, the company that removed it to try Cause I was, you know, I, I want these things to be salvaged. I, I don't want them to just be on the scrap heap. Um, and I've had, I've had, so, you know, that, that unfortunately didn't work out, but I've had owners of stores who I've stopped into photograph, call me and say, Hey, are you interested in buying this? Because, you know, this is going away or can you help me find a buyer for this? And, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can. Um, there's a, there's a fairly limited market for that. Unfortunately, you really have to find the right person and you know, I, I certainly don't have the space to collect <laughs> all of the all of the neon signs because those things are huge in many cases. Like these are not small instances. Uh, so it's um, but yeah, it's a, it's a you definitely meet some interesting people, but it's it's really disappointing when you see that they have fallen. And that that used to give me a lot of anxiety, really, of wow, every day I wasn't out there photographing these signs is one more day they had to possibly be taken down for good. So I felt like I felt like my invent the inventory of things that I could shoot was dwindling literally by the day. And so um I would uh I would try and get out as much as possible for a, for a long period of time. Yeah, cause I went to um I've been to the Neon Boneyard in Vegas three times now. Each time I've been out I've gone out. And I can't get enough of the place. And I know it's very kind of, you know, it's Vegas. So there's kind of that quiche tacky side and it's the obvious things. But when you actually go out and look at the craftsmanship of how these things were made and the, the I don't know, the care that went into how they looked and the size of them mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like you say, you look at a lovely, maybe a Coca-Cola sign on the side of a building that was fantastic when they say we're, they're bringing it down, when it's in your hands and it's, you know, Right. you can't hold it but i was that i was amazed at the story as you walk around and they tell you the story of like who designed this and who how the idea of this came about the fact that like you say there's museums now where this stuff goes there's actually one in london i've not been to yet but london obviously has got its own kind of history but we're a much smaller country so that kind of thing here is way harder to find because we don't have those open expanses of six seven hundred miles between two places where you're likely to find it we've you know generally you're always somewhere within 10 miles 
Um, and it's only when you get into old parts of like Liverpool or London or Manchester where you've got like the dockyards or um, what were the kind of poorer areas where you've still got some of the sign painting, uh, the paint on the side of the buildings where the, the old business name was, but it's yeah. fading. Right, the ghost so there's signs. A couple of, yeah, ghost signs. So, you know, people are starting to do those as well, which is really cool. But it's... um so So obviously going back to what we said about in the book, you you took that neon sign project and the the storefronts and did it just become turn into the smaller items because you were discovering them while you were there or did you kind of suddenly think well actually there's packaging and, and smaller signs that because some of the stuff you got in it it looks like you know they were small things small badges on on things that you've captured yeah it that that so so, you know, the the junk type project is is what you're referring to in that. That was another probably even more organic thing that came out of really just a realization as so I love, you know, you referred to it as junkin earlier, which is what I refer to it as, but you know, I I have for a long time have loved going to you know, uh antique stores and estate sales and yard sales, all, all of that kind of stuff. And I just started, like, I, I would always notice these great word marks and logos and badges on all of the stuff that you would come across. And so one day I just started, I just pulled out my phone and I was, I would say, you know, I just want to capture this. I just want yeah. to have a record of this. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I just think it's cool. I want to be able to look at this in the future at some point. And um, as as time moved on, I re- you know I looked down at my phone one day and I realized I have you know a couple dozen of these things. This is I, I should create another Instagram account for this. And so that um, so that got started really just as a another passion project and you know i i was determined to not have i wanted this to be um a little more i I wanted the pace of this to be a lot faster than what i was doing with the vintage signs um and i say that because you know i was pulling out my um, my DSLR and I was editing those photos and I was researching the history of them. And I wanted this to be a little more instantaneous. I just wanted to pull out my phone, capture a picture of it, do so in the best possible way and, and share it. Right. And again, this was really just for me to have a collection. Um, and it quickly became the situation where finding these designs was what was bringing me out to these, you know, sales in, in shops. And it really was the, the driving force behind me spending time there. And it was, you know, very much like the vintage neon signs. I would just get so excited when I would come across something new that I had never seen before. And, you know, I feel like in, in, in there's another parallel because a lot of these things are really ephemeral. Now the, 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 you know, it's hard to call a neon sign ephemeral, but certainly they're endangered. A Mm. lot of this junk type stuff is literally printed on paper and packaging, right? Certainly there's a lot of uh, metal badges and such, but 
there's um there's so much there's so much incredible design that exists in things that were really uh not all that you know typically not considered all that crucial to the end product that they were being stamped on right um and i just really appreciated that and i think that um having a library if you will of that sort of design has has value and i loved i really just enjoyed being uh you know part of uh, somebody who could help pull it together so that was one of the um the things that i started i noticed i started doing on my phone was where you do go somewhere like an we we have um i guess you call them thrift stores we call them charity shops yeah and at, or like estate sales and i used to go to them not to buy anything i literally go into charity shops and i take photographs of of these things probably i mean I'm, I'm heavily influenced by the people i've started to follow but that's that's the thing i've always had an eye for and you know when you walk into a into a room that one logo is like the light in the blues brothers film where they're in the church exactly and, right. and it it shines out and you're drawn to it. You know exactly what you're looking for. You've got the eye. And I know this is this was off the recording when we when we did the intro at the beginning and I called you a designer and which you said was interesting. Yeah. So I wanna go I wanna go into that a little bit because you said you're not you don't think of yourself as a designer. Now I don't think of myself as a photographer, but there's an element of photography that I get that I know how to take I when I say I take a decent photograph, I take decent photographs of signs and logos. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I I love the medium of photography. I don't call myself the photographer, but there's an there's a part of that world that you need to fulfil the bit of that world you do like. So as a, I see you as a designer because you've got an incredible eye for design, just purely because you're able to identify these things and know their worth uh, emotionally and historically. Has it not made you want to try graphic design? I, mean, I don't know what your full-time job is or what your background is. So I'm interested to see. It comes from somewhere. So what is it? Yeah, and, and I, I have been a design enthusiast for a long time. And I've, I've you know, thought a lot about, uh, or I, I thought a lot in the past about a career in graphic design. I mean, it was one of the things that I was drawn to early on. I um I went to a uh, a small college here uh, in the U.S. and I I took every graphic design class that they offered back then, which was a total of two, and then I hit a dead end with not being able to go any further, um, and wound up going down the uh, the marketing path, which is uh, you know I I still work in marketing today, um, and so yeah I've I'm you know, I'm, I'm self-taught on, uh, you know, like I, I can function with an illustrator. I do dabble in, you know, some graphic design elements at times, but I'm, I'm very much a novice. Uh, but I, I, I enjoy it. I get inspired. So I probably much like you, there are a lot of graphic designers that I am just fans of and that I follow on social media and that I just really enjoy seeing not only their finished products, but when they give a behind the scenes like process shot of the sketches that ultimately led to designs. Like I just, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, it, in, in that, you know, it's not uncommon for me to see that one day and 
find time that evening because I just have to get in front of a screen and, you know, try and do something myself as well. Um, so it's, you know, but frankly, I'm not very good. Um, but I am, but I do, I appreciate the compliment because I, I do know what I like and I'm, I'm pretty meticulous about the way that I shoot things and the way that I crop things and the way that I edit things. And, um, so I, you know, I, I, again, I still don't, despite, uh, you know, your kind words, I still don't consider myself a designer because I, I think that almost, I think that is almost insulting to the people who actually are designers. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I see myself more as somebody who is, um, you know, a design enthusiast that tries to capture this work from actual designers, right? Cause yeah regardless of what these individuals were that created like these, the, you know, the stuff that you see in junk type, um, those guys were, they were, they were guys and gals were extremely talented and they weren't, they weren't using the type of software and hardware that designers have access to today. I mean, these were, uh, it was very analog. Yeah. That, and also from the history I've done, those that, those that were known there were fewer of them because like you say that there was no there wasn't like 50 Aaron Draplins back then you know yeah. that there were I've got a couple of books there was one I found that I love that I was just looking for while we were talking and it's about a married couple that did the Wrigley chewing gum and they both worked in a design agency they met they got married and they ended up getting the contract for Wrigley um, and dealt with Mr Wrigley himself from Wrigley Field and their job was to design the Wrigley gum packaging. Um, all these, the, the boards on the side of the road, the the branding on the packets, uh, how they had to overcome during wartime when there was no metafoil. So they had to do a different kind of packaging. Yeah. And it's this, uh, the guy's called, o is, I think it's something like Otis Shepard and his wife. And they were amazing designers and were probably didn't even realize what they were at the time but now when you see that as an iconic brand these guys back then just had a pen and paper and a and a rules ruler and a you know just sat oh but i need a bird for this thing yeah. and he draws a little bird and next thing like 50 60 years later you know aaron draplin and yourself and me we're we're sharing these little designs going right. just look at that yeah you can see that from 10 feet away and it, it exactly did its job. Yeah, that's exactly right. And simple. So it's the simpleness of, of it all as well. You know, now we've got gradients and neon, you know, all these different things where you look at design online. But back then it had to kind of work in one color or two colors and it had to be seen from so far and it had to be able to be printed. But I mean, we're very funny you saying it. We're very similar because uh, I'm self-taught. I've worked in marketing for the last 20 years. Uh, I love design. I look at these designers like you do and I'm just completely, I should just retire uh, because, but, but I'm a, a graphic design enthusiast yeah. as well as a designer. I, I've kind of got by, but I found my place was in marketing because I'm fascinated more by why it was designed rather than how it was designed. So it's what's its purpose in the world. So, yeah, you know, my job, I'm always looking at reference books, you know, how, how simplified was the brand? How simplified was the design back then? that how you know how does that matter today because you do stop and you see these signs and you see these little logos and and you appreciate what it is other people will just screw it up and chuck it in the trash yeah no that's, that's right. right plus it's treasure yeah i mean uh, 
aesthetics matter to me in, in, in all aspects of my life. And, you know, I think that it's, you know, I, I, you make, I make a connection with images or uh, designs where it's clear that it mattered to the person on the other end of that as well. Um, so, you know, even if, (laughs) even if I'm in my day job putting together a PowerPoint presentation, that thing is gonna, that thing is gonna look pretty sharp. Like I care about how that looks. And I, and I believe in, I believe in the power of, uh, or that, um, the, the communication that you're trying to deliver is more effective and more powerful if it's aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And you know, that, uh, that's frankly, that slows me down in a lot of things, but I, I, I believe in it and I think it's worth the extra effort to kind of do that in really just about anything that's going to be viewed by somebody else. Yeah, I totally agree. I am, I mean, a lot of the books that I've got, they are purely purchases based on me watching a graphic designer work. Um, In fact, there's one of the things I did was based around Aaron uh, in that presentation I did with a kidnapper. And and there's a picture of Aaron in his office and he's standing there, you know, with his arms folded Mm -hmm. and... And but behind him was this bookshelf. Behind him was this massive bookshelf. And my first reaction was, "Can you get out of the way? Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to see what's behind your body shape." Yeah. And I used to, I used to take snapshots then of every time I saw a designer, I would take a snapshot of their bookshelf. Then I would zoom in on Photoshop and I'd start researching. Well, what's this book? Who is it? Yeah. So I started to see people like uh, Drew Struzan, who did all the 1980s film posters. Then you see typographers like Herb Lubalin, who used to do signage and hand, and then like House Industries and Charles Anderson, as you come further forward. Yep. And then, you know, I'm forever buying these books uh, and researching and reading about how these guys did they created their craft because I love that pre-computer um you know they didn't we we can just turn illustrator on and knock a logo out these guys had to do it mathematically and and that's the side of it it's not just what it looked like it's that it's everything that went into how it became what it became whether it's a a big neon sign or a motel sign or even just the the name title on the front of a store I was looking through some of the shops and stores that you took pictures of and just that the shop front is a work of art yeah, it really is. And largely, you know, by, by many people, they go unnoticed. Um, but yeah, you know, I, and I don't stop at every, you know, I, I don't stop at every storefront I see. Uh, I have, you know, I kind of hone in on things that really catch my eye. Um, but to, to, to kind of further the conversation we were having a second ago about great books, one of my favorite ones in my collection is actually, uh, it's called Striking Images. And it is simply a collection of uh, vintage matchbook covers that have these incredible graphics on them from matchbooks of all kinds of different establishments from, you know, probably the first part of the the 20th century. And it just, these illustrators are incredible. And the medium that they were working on was so tiny and the, you know... Just the char- the character from the registration errors in the printing of them. It just it all comes together in something that it just has attracted me since since I was little. Even though I couldn't really put my finger on why at the time, like yeah. matchbook designs were just 
something I were com- was completely drawn to. They were. They were little works of art. You know, people would try and find a way of making something even more, like the way you opened it, the way it, as it folded out, it became something else. Even the matches were part of the design. Right. I, I love old luggage labels. Yeah. Um, um, old diner menus. Um, just anything. If I if I just find something else new, it's like, as you said, that striking images, I'm looking up thinking, I'm pretty sure I've got a book <laughs> on, on matchbooks. Um I've got, got, I'm just here. I'm looking at a book called uh, Weird New York, and it's a, somebody that went around New York and took all the picture of the weird stuff around New York. It's just that's what I love the fact now that we're in a world where people are capturing and collating it and putting it together. So books like Junk Type exist for particularly like for me in little old England is you know we don't have anything Americana here goes for probably ten ten times what you'd pay over there i I, I even went to uh, i was in san diego and we went to a swap meet and um there was a a lady selling a set of uh bowling pins and i love that old bowling alley uh typography and just that 1950s thing it's just oh it's it's so good that stuff It it really floats my boat absolutely and this lady's got these old american bowling pins and i'm thinking all right i'd they're a bit big to take home, but I do want to buy one. And she's probably going to say fifty to a hundred dollars. She see she'll see me coming a mile off with the accent, and I, so I said, "How much are the bowling pins?" And she went, "Ah, you can have all four for ten dollars." <laughs> so I couldn't get I couldn't get ten dollars out of my pocket. <laughs> Handed it over, and I'm there. I am holding four bowling pins. And my friend Alan said, "And how are you getting them home?" And I went. I'm taking two home and I'm leaving two at your house. <laughs> well, with all the mo- come back you can ship time. them back with all the money, with all the money you saved, I suppose. Right. I know. And yet here there's a shop in London and they, they bring in this stuff from America and sell it. One bowling pin would have been about $50 because it's not something you get here. It's got that American thing. And so it's lovely to see the value that people value it. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think I probably take for granted um, that I am from a place and live in a place that has this sort of history to go and capture, right? In my own yeah. little way, um, and I have I have thought about that before, especially as I've made some connections through the various social media platforms and just from people reaching out to me through my website from other countries. That's that tends to be a common theme of wow. If you know that that stuff just isn't in my part of the world, if I were in a place where I could even find this stuff, I would love to be doing that that same thing. Um, and it, you know, it really it just I so that helps me not take it for granted when I'm reminded of that. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it's uh, I like to th- honestly, though, I like to think that I would find my own similar niche no matter where I was. Uh, it, 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 it may not be quite as uh, vibrant and colorful as, as these, th- these tend to be, but uh, I, I think I'd probably root out something that I could get obsessed with along these same lines no matter where I was. I think when it's in your brain, when your brain works like that, you'll always spot something now one of the things on your website that is completely unrelated to this yeah that really really struck home for me because it's something that i've done and i do and that's the mysterious envelope 
Yes. Yeah, that, that is so that cool. That got me because I went to um, where I used to work. Around the corner was this village hall. And about every three months, there was this company that used to run like an estate sale. So I used to call it like dead person's junk. Yeah. Um, and what what you could do was go around on the Wednesday and go and have a look at it and you get a sheet and then you'd write the number down of something you were interested in and then you'll bid and then I'd go back to work and then the auction would happen because I couldn't be there for the auction and if you were the top price uh, you'd win the lot but you wouldn't know until the end of the day what what you'd actually won and every time I used to go in there I used to find these boxes of photo albums and I was fascinated by the fact that there's these photo albums of pictures going back to the 1800s, early 1900s of these families on holiday and weddings and events. And there they are sat in this box with, you know, this person's history is just going for $5, $10 because, you know, I like the old photo albums. So I made it a mission to save them. Because I thought if someone buys the box and like chucks those out but wanted the candlestick at the bottom. Yeah. There's it there's this person's history. So I ended up started buying a couple of boxes that and I've got these like two big crates of these photo albums of black and white photos of these people on holiday. And I'm looking for clues on the back. Like, well, can I find a name? And there was one of a beauty pageant. This woman won a beauty pageant in Manchester in like 1949 or 1950. And I looked it up, I Googled it, and I eventually found there was an old newspaper cutting which confirmed this woman. And uh, there was a house in Hamilton in uh, Canada. And there was a letter from someone from England who'd obviously emigrated to Canada in the 1930s, I think it was, uh, late 20s, 30s. And had written this letter back to this family in the UK. And, and in another part of the package was a picture of a house. And I was looking at the house and then thought, I wonder if that house is the address on this letter. So I went on Google Maps, um, Google Street, and I got goosebumps because there was this house in 2016, it was, and I've got this house in 1929. And and there it was. So I wrote to the Hamilton like local newspaper and said, you know, look, I know I'm not going to find the family, but uh, the per- I just want to send the, the picture of this house to the person who lives in the house. Um, but when I saw your mysterious envelope, I sat and looked like I was looking at every single invoice and you're trying to piece it together. And there's this married couple's name and you can't find them. Yes. I don't know whether you have since, but is it Mr. Li- Mr. Lily or? see lily yeah yeah uh yes yeah lily was the last name and then there were some initials and i um i I, yeah i searched for a while on that and they they there i didn't get any hits unfortunately um uh, well that that's not totally true i did find some i did find somebody on linkedin that i thought may have been a descendant and you know, that that's a strange thing. That's a strange email to get via LinkedIn, I think. So I didn't get a reply to it. So I'm, I'm assuming it either wasn't true or uh, she had no interest in being associated with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was the perfect person to come across that. I, uh, you know, so for, for those that, that don't know the story, I, I essentially bought an old file cabinet. And as I was taking it apart to, to clean it before I put it into service here in my studio... Uh, a, an envelope was wedged in the back that clearly, uh, they didn't see when they cleaned it out to donate it. And inside this envelope was a 
whole pile of receipts from 1970. It was, in fact, the, the envelope said receipts 1971, I believe on it. Yeah. And it's, you know, all these, all these beautiful vintage receipts with these great logos and typefaces from businesses that are still, in some cases, still in operation here uh, in, wow. in the city. Uh, others that have, ha- are, are no longer, um, but not, you know, not only to see the, the price of the items, what they were back yeah. then, uh, but the type of lifestyle, I mean, it, it seems like it was somebody fairly affluent that actually had donated or at the time was, it was affluent because there were car receipts, there were fur coat receipts, there was a lot of landscaping type stuff. There were department store purchases. Um, so somebody had some expendable income back then and it was just really cool. So yeah, there's a, there's a blog post on, um, on recapturist.com that you can find that I think I photographed every single one and have them there as an album. Yeah. That was, that was a cool find. And that's that eye that you've got. That's that thing. I think, like we said, when you've got that eye, when you've got that thirst for it, it starts to almost filter through the, like the rest of the crap in the world suddenly all these little things just come through and you get a lucky find and you get that lucky that little story and it's the it's not just the seeing it that's the the thing it's the it's the history or those extra little clues or you know i mean i love googling the hell out of something until it's impossible to find it and then i'll google some more and you just become an expert at searching for lost things and lost people because if you know how to follow a breadcrumb trail it's surprising what you can find out, even if it's, you know, like a manufacturer that was at an address. And then now you've got Google Street that you can go and look at the address and see the yeah. company that was there. And you can go and ask them, well, who was here before you? Do you know anything about the building? And I just love that detective side of of design. Yeah, Google is a is a fantastic tool. So I have, I have literally, so I we talked earlier about, you know, these long road trips that we would take along the back roads. And, you know, you get to the end of your trip and you don't necessarily remember the exact route you took if you were to look on a map, right? You'd really have to think about it because you're kind of making decisions about which way to go uh, real time. And yeah. I, I have literally found myself because, you know, as, as I have come across signs that I absolutely love and wanted to put on my site, I need to. I want to know exactly where those signs are because I have a, I have a map uh, on my site that pinpoints the location of all of them. But I have literally found myself going mile by mile on Google Street View down a road to just figure out exactly where a sign was because I had no documentation. I just knew it was yeah. in this part of Illinois, and I started piecing things together primarily because I knew the location of the sign on my camera before and afterward, right? And so like I could kind of piece together the route. So Google is great for that. Uh, here's another here's another thing that I, I love to do is Google, and I don't know how many people know about this, but Google has a, a newspaper archive that where they have scanned in issues of hundreds of newspapers from around the world going back to, in some cases, the 1800s. Wow. So you can go into like I, I, I love to go into um, various newspapers from around the world, typically in like the 50s and 60s. I'm, I'm drawn to because of all the great typography that appears in the um, in the advertisements there. Yeah. And just seeing like what they were advertising, the type, the, the typographic style. I mean, 
you can get so much inspiration. Again, if I was a designer, I would I would pull from that often, right? Because it's just such a I think that's a really untapped uh, untapped resource. Yeah, I agree with you there because I actually purchased a book off Amazon, which I'm trying to look is, uh, and it was exactly that. It was a collection of all these old um, adverts from the old newspapers, and and I used to love uh, like Bazooka Joe and all the little funny little ads that used to be in the american comics sure. and somebody somebody actually bought uh it was a book where they collected them all and and what this guy had actually done was not only found the ad from each comic book he actually went and tried to find anybody that who ever ordered it and received it so he was able to put the ad with the actual thing um <laughs> Because I just remember being fascinated by you could buy sea monkeys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there was always like pop guns and yeah, X-ray glasses. And this, and this guy actually, it's called Mail Order something. Um, but yeah, this guy went round and he found all these weird items that people had kept. And again, it's just one of those things that the typography, the language, even, um, and what was being sold. You know, some of it was very un-PC and, sure. you know, you look at it now and it was, you know, women, make make yourself look beautiful for when your husband gets home and, uh, uh, you know, smoke 20 cigarettes a day because yeah, it's good yeah. for you. But they're just the the colour and I'm forever doing colour swatches from some of these old things. So if I'm trying to do a design, I, I actually find really cool colour schemes from some of the packaging and ads. Um, I don't know if you've come across him, a guy called Dustin Lee, a company called Retro Supply. I have, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, they're, a fa- they're a foundry, right? Uh, no, no, Dustin, um, well, Dustin's actually, uh, he loves retro design and he loves that like kind of offset. So what he does on his website is retrosupply.co and he creates packs of design resources to help you recreate that old style. So it'll be like half tones and stippling. And That's right. Yes. Type type effects and and uh, textures. And I chat to Dustin quite a bit now, and he's become a good friend. And I said now, quite often when I go out and I see something old and retro, and you know the printing's offset. Yeah. I my, my it's that thing of oh Dustin would love that, and <laughs> because he would create a pack, he would he he kind of reverse engineer it reverse engineers how that thing looks yes and then works out what he can supply to you to help you recreate it and it's cool and i love looking through his website and and what how he's taken that old thing and brought it into kind of 2018 and kept that style alive yeah i i yeah so i'm uh i'm I'm on his side as as we're talking about this and yes i do i i've definitely come across him a few times this this stuff's incredible it's it's exactly the aesthetic that i think you and i are both drawn to every time we come across it see this is the kind of stuff that makes me wish i could actually put those tools to use right i i I wish i wish i i I had that skill set because i would um i would completely get engulfed in it you should try like you say you've got illustrator there what's the worst that can happen (laughs) it all comes down to time typically yeah so what's next then for you what obviously we're up to this point talking about all these things you've done what's going forward now what what else is there is there a second book is there a follow-up project is are you turning what you've done into anything else or do you think it will just remain a kind of 
pastime that will give you a thrill? You know, I think mostly uh, the latter. I think it's, you know, it's something that um, I will, I'm sure, never give up completely. Like I still, you know, I my phone is still filled with images that are going to make it up to, it, you know, on uh, that will be part of junk type uh, soon. Um, you know, I'm still photographing neon signs, although, um, with much less regularity, just because, you know, other things in life have, have filled the time that I was able to spend really, uh, doing that. Um, so, but it is still near and dear to my heart, certainly. And, and I still will get the camera out and, you know, give the shutter some exercise now and then, um, so yeah, you know, I, I really no no immediate plans. If um, uh, I, I I believe I could put together a, a junk type number two if that was ever in the cards. Uh, there, I think there would be an, enough images to do something like that. But um, yeah. there there yeah. are no immediate plans. Oh, cool. Well, I know I noticed on the map that you said, but it's on the website, and I'll put links to all this in our show notes. But I was counting. I think you've covered twenty states up to now. You've got 30 states left. Is that a challenge? Is that something that's in your mind? Like, I want to add a new state. I want to venture a little bit further out into the middle of Idaho or, you know, get get right deep in. Is is there an ambition there to kind of... Because that's the thing Stacey's doing with the Veterans Project. She said she wanted to do all 50 states, which may, which was so kind of like what you're doing, is do you now, do you add a new challenge every time you kind of, take another batch of photos you thinking mm, why next yeah i sh- i should i should I'd, it'd be a lie to tell you that that is uh something that i've uh you know put on my bucket list necessarily but i would love to have that be a reality i need to go through and figure out how many states i actually do have represented because as i mentioned that there's my hard drive is filled with ones that haven't quite made it to the to the website yet um it's certainly not all 50 though and right. that would be uh that would be a good challenge, actually. So yeah, that's something, something to think about. Something to think about yeah, for sure. Yeah, your, your wife's in the background going, "Shh, I hate you." <laughs> well, there's nothing from Hawaii yet, so I'm sure I'm sure that wouldn't be. A, I wouldn't have to twist her arm too much for that one. I'm sure. Oh, cool. Well, listen, Bill. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, and I could talk to you about this stuff for for many more hours. Um, and I hope maybe we can talk again sometime. If you do move on and take the project somewhere else, I'd love to certainly keep in touch with you and hear more about it. But for for anyone listening to the podcast this week, uh, I'm going to put links up to Bill's book. It's called Junk Type. And I'm going to put links to the website and the Instagram because this stuff is quite rightly so. Hashtag sign porn. Hashtag type porn. Um, I think you let... I was looking through Instagram uh feed and you'd left a note for some guys who'd gone off and i think it was um sign hashtag sign pornography you put like i wish i was with you guys traveling and and it's it's true there's a collective of people that love this stuff and long may it be treasured and documented and the stories behind it you know not just yourself but everyone else but yeah i'll I'll put links up because you really need to look at this stuff and appreciate that you know the time that that bill's certainly put into this and his wife um to bring this project alive and share it which we appreciate but it's just good to i mean obviously i'm sitting looking at you and i can see you smiling every time we talk about something so it's great to see that kind of fun and passion that you've still got for it yeah i uh this was a lot of fun dave i am um i'm always excited to talk about this and i really appreciate the opportunity to be uh 
part of this podcast. This is great. On um, it's it's a pleasure to have you on. It's a real thrill for me because, as I say, as the designer of the two, um, this has been no since we first emailed. This has been the one that I've been like super prepared for. I had a page of notes. I've had the book here. I've been like looking looking through the books I've got. But no, really, I really do appreciate you. Thank you so much. And um, certainly, we'd, I'd love to talk to you again. And if I'm ever coming through Minneapolis, I'm certainly going to hit you up and we're going to have a drink in an old beat up bar with a great sign outside i will give you the i'll give you the grand tour i'd love that brilliant thank you very much okay well we're going to sign off from he shoots he draws this episode this week and as always everything can be found on he shoots he draws.com and all the show notes for bill will be on the website as soon as the episode goes live so thank you very much bill and uh we'll see you soon thanks so let me do the intro music ready hang on He shoots, he draws with Glyn Dewis and Dave Clayton. <laughs> Eric Clapton, eat your heart out. <laughs> I didn't even know you had a guitar. Right, one, two, three.